before we get into the message, let's, uh, let's pray together one more time. Heavenly Father, I, there are a lot of places we could be. Uh, we could be at a coffee shop reading the newspaper. We could be uh, sleeping in, watching a TV show. Um, there, there's, we could be going for a workout. But uh, we, your people, these, your people, are here uh, to worship, uh, to look into your word. Uh, dear Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that you would uh, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in a way where we see uh, each and every Sunday life in you, our lives in you, uh, and how they can be new in Christ. That no matter what we have been through, uh, from brokenness of relationships or finances um, or marriages, uh, you are making all things new. You are making this world new. And that is good news. Even in the midst of uncertainty, whether it's economics or government or politics, you are making this world new. And you started in Jesus Christ. May we know that. May we know that that is the best news of all. Thank you for this country, the freedom to preach, freedom to worship, freedom to serve you. Thank you for those who serve it, particularly our veterans and their families. And for all those leaders, all our elected officials, dear Lord, Keep your hand upon them. May they have godly discernment. May they look to Christ. In your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter 12. Be reading verse 13 through uh, verse 17 today. But before I do that, I want to say a couple words. Uh, obviously, um, you know, a lot of us are thinking about talking about uh, the election. And honestly, uh, a lot of folks have asked me over the years, like, why don't you do sermons or a sermon series on, like, politics or, um, you know, would Jesus be Republican, Democrat? Would, uh, what's a Christian's role in politics? And I've always been, like, real hesitant to do that. First off, it gets preachers in tons of trouble. I mean, uh, like, you know, all the time. And, um, you know, kind of step out enough as it is. So, uh, Anyway, we'll see if I'm stepping out uh, for you today. We'll see how much trouble I get into. But, um, you know, I've also been hesitant to do that because I always think the church should be separate from, like, politics, you know? I mean, Rick Warren said that the more political a church is, the less of a church it is. And I kind of tend to agree with that. Um, Another thing, another reason I've been hesitant is because a a lot of y'all know this. Um, You know, I've worked in politics. Um, raised money for politicians. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, 10 years or anything, but it was three years. So I worked in Washington, D.C., and I'm also fascinated with politics. Um, not necessarily the policy standpoint. You can talk to my wife about that. She kind of, she gets into that. I, I kind of watch it more or less for entertainment sake. But uh, I love it. I mean, I, I read about it all the time. I'm actually reading a biography on Lincoln right now, this Lincoln movie coming up. And uh, so I'm really fascinated, and so I'm very hesitant because of the church, and also because, you know, I've worked there, and I just, I don't want to be seen as political, honestly, one way or the other. And I don't want to see Bellwether to be seen as political one way or the other. However, however, you get into the words of Jesus, and if you really look deep into the scriptures, and some of you do, and I hope all of you will at some point, Jesus is very political. Jesus is highly political. Political. And the other thing is followers of Jesus want to know, well, how can I like be a Christian and be involved in, in politics? Or, or how can I, um, you know, live out my faith in politics? Maybe you're a Christian and you've chosen to enter into the political fray. So, you know, I kind of come down to it. And today is just one sermon, but there may, may be a series coming soon that uh, it is important. And 
as Christians, as a church, we should at least address it. Um, let me say a couple things. This is not the sermon you may expect because a lot of political sermons, not this may be a political sermon, but it goes in one of two ways. One way is, hey, you know, the nation's going to hell. We need to vote this way and godly principles. That's not going to be this sermon. The other thing is, the other way is like, hey, there's poor people, need to invest in government, do these things, support this government program, la da 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 It's not that sermon either. So it's, if you're looking for those two, you're not going to find it in the next uh, couple minutes or so. I will say this, though, and then we'll get into Scripture. One, I really admire public officials, uh, politicians. We have, a, um, we have one here, Councilman Whitwell. I'm not sure where you are, but I always say we need to be praying for our public officials. That is, that is a direct command in Scripture. All those in authority and government over you need to be praying for. And I really admire them. I, I believe it is a call. Uh, it's a call just as much of, of being a pastor, being in ministry. It's, it's a toll on politicians' lives and families. Um, secondly, a lot of my thought on this comes from a man, uh, man I think is very godly, and ministered to a lot of politicians. He's uh, Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie. He was a chaplain of the United States Senate, and uh, actually had a very profound effect on me even going into the ministry, being a pastor. And I remember him one time, he told me that uh, every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, he would start his days walking around the Capitol and pray for 20 senators. So each week, he had prayed for all 100 senators uh, by name uh, as he walked around the Capitol. And, you, you know, I thought about that. Just imagine, I don't know what his political views were, but, you know... Like, life in the Senate and, and politics, I mean, they can be, you know, it's, it's blood sport. It's a contact sport. And things people say, and he might have heard, but he, he puts all that aside, and he's praying for these leaders of the nation. And that really struck me about just needing to pray for the leaders, and I just hope we can all do that. So, that being said, again, Jesus in politics... Um, should a Christian be a Republican or a Democrat? Should a Christian vote Republican or Democrat? Uh, in true political fashion, I may or I may not answer that question. Uh, we will see. What is more important is to look into God's Word, see what it says, wrestle with it. And you don't have to wrestle with it. You have to wrestle with it. It's challenging. So, let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 13 through 17. Starting in verse 13. And they sent to him, Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Uh, famous passage. Some of y'all read it before. Some of y'all have heard, you know, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, God. To what is God? So what's Jesus meaning? Well, I'm going to have to give you some background today. I don't do this every Sunday, but to know this and really to understand what's going on here, you've got to understand some of the context, some of the history, like what's happened previously, just right before this and also a couple hundred years back. 
because it's very political and it's key to understand this. First thing is, in Mark, t- um, Mark 11, the chapter before this, Jesus had cleansed the temple. Now, I don't mean like cleansing. I mean going in, throwing over money tables, you know, challenging these businessmen who'd come into the church of God, the house of God, and saying, you know, you're making it a, a robber's den. So he'd thrown all these people out. So there were some people who were really, really mad at Jesus. This passage mentions two of them, two groups. And it, you know how politics, there's the same politics makes strange bedfellows? Well, I don't know if I need to say that at church, but it's, you know, the statement. Politics makes strange bedfellows. We see this here. It says the Herodians, they loved the Roman Empire. They loved Rome. And then the Pharisees hated Rome, despised the Roman Empire. But now, both of them together, they hate Jesus more. We got we to gotta take this guy out. We got to get rid of this cat. I mean, he is challenging our authority. He is leading the people. We're going to have a revolt here. We got to take care of him. So they're already thinking about how can we kill this sucker? How can we get this guy? So first off, they're like, we're going to trap him. We're going to try to get the people against him. He says he's this great leader, spiritual leader, son of God. So they try to trap him. And I love this passage because, you know, they come to him and they're really like puffing him up first. And, you know, it's interesting because like so many people do this all the time even now. You know, they're really trying to trap you. They're really trying to back you into a corner, but they, they try to love on you first. And so they said, teacher, we know you're true. You don't care about anybody's opinion. You're so great. And then they ask him, you know, do we need to pay this, this tax? And another thing you know about history, about 100 years before this time, there was another leader. His name was Judas, not Judas Iscariot, another guy named Judas. And he led a revolt against the Roman Empire. He cleansed the temple too. But his revolt ended in him getting killed and all of his people being dispersed. But these leaders, and we've kind of seen this before. Somebody cleansed the temple, threw everybody out, getting everybody riled up. What's, what's going on here? So let's, let's try to trap him. Because see, if he said, you know, no, don't pay, then, you know, he could lead an uprising and they'd revolt and then he'd get killed, probably. Or if he said yes, he said yes, don't pay, then, you know, they'd be like, well, or yes, do pay. Then he'd say, well, you know, you're really not who you say you are. Because you say you're the son of God, but you're saying now pay, so we need to adhere to Caesar. So, I mean, what does Jesus do? He actually says something that, that's pretty much very, very similar to what our founding fathers said. Not to get into like a history lesson, but our founding fathers basically said, hey, if there's going to be a government, you've got to have taxes, some form or fashion. I mean, bottom line. So he's saying, okay, we're going to have taxes. But then he says, um, he says something interesting. See, this was not just a regular tax. This was a poll tax. And the poll tax, every time they looked at that coin, the Jews, every time they paid that, they were reminded, we are slaves. We are slaves to Rome. We're oppressed by Rome. And so they're really trying to say, Jesus, does your teaching, does it have a practical implication for our lives? Is it like real life stuff? Because we've got to pay this tax. Or is it just like spiritual words, spiritual enlightenment? 
They're really asking, and a lot of you ask the same question, are the teachings of Jesus, is Jesus is it just from a heart, or does it have a practical purpose for my life? Does it have a practical implication for my life? It's like real-world stuff. And it doesn't get any more real-world than money and, like, taxing. So, what do we do, Jesus? The key verse here is verse 17. So Jesus answers. Jesus says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And also in true political fashion, Jesus doesn't say one or the other. But then it says they marveled at him. These cats who are trying to nail Jesus down, they marvel at him, at his response. So what's he saying? What's he saying? Well, he takes a coin, takes what they're paying, and he says, whose image is on this? Whose likeness is on this? They say Caesar's. Well, you took an actual denarius. What it had written on it was Caesar, son of God, the most high priest. So he was saying he was God. And Jesus said, well, hey, his image is on it. It's his coin. Give it back to him. Government made it. His image is on it. Just give it back to him. It's his money. Give it to him. Then he says, give to God what is God's. And the question he's saying is, whose image is on us? Whose image is on us? Genesis 1. God made man and woman, male and female, in his own image, in his own likeness. Jesus is saying, give to government what the government is, but don't give them your heart. Don't give them your soul. Don't give them your life. That government, where there's a place, there's a place for it. But it's not our, our personal saviors. It's not something we give our, our lives to. Jesus is saying, give to the government. What is the government? So, hey, it's his coin. It's Caesar's coin. Give it back to him. Give to God what is God's. Give God your life. Something else he says, and you really have to notice, you really kind of have to go deep here. They ask him, is it law for us to pay taxes? And then Jesus says, render to Caesar. So two very simple words, pay and render. They mean something very, very different if you get down into the Greek. And I don't like, like giving a Greek lesson every, every Sunday. But it's important to know. Pay is like a gift in Greek. Like we're giving a gift. Render is give what they deserve. Give them what they deserve. So when Jesus said render, the people knew that he, he didn't mean just give it as a gift. He said Give what they deserve. It's okay, they deserve some of the money. But he's also saying, hey, Caesar is a tyrant. Caesar's a bad guy. I mean, we think of tyrants like Saddam Hussein, dude up in North Korea, whomever, what his name is. These are like tyrants. This, guy, this cat, Caesar, just as bad. He's like, give him what he deserves. Don't give him your heart. Don't give him your will. Don't give him your soul. Don't give him your life. Give that to God. Jesus is actually saying... You can be engaged in politics, but don't be yes men. He's saying you can be involved in politics and government, but at the same time, you're not robots here. He's a tyrant. Don't just do everything that he says. He made the coin, give it back to him, but don't give him your life. Don't like follow him, follow God. So Jesus is being, he's, he's honestly being very political, he's being very sharp. Being very shrewd, and that's, 
That's why they marvel at him. Jesus saying there's a place for government. Jesus also saying don't put your spiritual life in government. Don't make government your savior. And that's a big temptation for many of us. We make political people, political heroes, our saviors. Do you say, no, it's, that, that can't happen. That is impossible. He's saying, I'm savior. The only person that can save you is God. Jesus came as God. He can save us. So Jesus is really saying, you know, you can be engaged, but don't be like, you know, man, this leader, this politician, this government, this philosophy is going to save us because that just... That doesn't happen. There were two groups of people in Jesus' time that Jesus was against. One was called the Essenes. And again, a little history for you. Now, they said, hey, man, we just don't like this life. We don't like this world. We don't like this government. We're just going to drop out of life and just kind of just rebel against that. Jesus said, don't be like that. Hey, engage in political life. Engage in government. But the other group were the zealots. And they're like, we're going to take over the world through revolution. We're going to take over the earth through politics. We're going to take over the earth through government. And Jesus is like, don't be like them either, because both of those are wrong. Jesus said, hey, there's a place, but it's not your Savior. And throughout Scripture, he says, I am. Jesus is the ultimate politician. Jesus is the one who will ultimately save the world. So what do we do? I mean, like, like you know, Tuesday's coming. What, what do we do as Christians in politics with government? First off, I just say it, vote. Vote. I mean, you know, you can't like complain and gripe if you don't vote. So, first off, vote. Second thing, and I think Jesus is saying this here when he says render things that are Caesar's and render the things that are God's. Hey, we can be vocal. Like he says, don't be yes men, don't be like robots. You can be vocal, but, you know, do it humbly. I mean, we're, we're first Christians. We first belong to Christ. We need to represent ourselves like that. And then third, pray. I want to read a passage in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, where I believe it says these very things. It doesn't say vote, but it says 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. Paul says, first all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Paul's telling Timothy to tell his church, man, pray for those in authority. Pray for kings. So that people will see our lives, that we pray for them, that we can be vocal, but we can do it in a humble, in a gentle way, in a civil way, to lead people to Christ. So yeah, vote. Yeah, speak out. Be civil about it. And pray. Pray for all of our leaders. And I'll be honest, I have problems praying for some of our leaders. But God's word and God calls me to do so. And so I do it. Every day. Really respect those in higher office, the call of politics. We need to pray for them. One other verse. And I put some verses about how scripture tells us to pray for our leaders in your program. But one other verse I want to highlight. Because often we don't pray, often we just curse them. Exodus uh, twenty-two twenty-eight. 28. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. it says, You shall not revile God, 
nor curse a ruler of your people. Say again, you shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. I say that, you know, one reason I say it is because a lot of folks, a lot of us, I mean, I would say this, all the Bible is inerrant. All the Bible is worthy of inspiration, even the Old Testament stuff, even like the stuff in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all that. So here's a, a verse in Exodus. It says, don't curse the rulers of your people. So if I believe what I believe about the Bible, and I do, don't curse the rulers of our people. Two examples that, um, that have happened in my life. One, when I was at Ole Miss and I was part of like a Christian group, and you know, conservative group, Clinton was president then, and I heard and saw all these Christians, they were just like, you know, dogging Clinton, you know, just slamming him over and over again. And these were, you know, like godly Christian college students or as much as they could be. And I'm like, man, you know, I mean, honestly, I was like, come on. I mean, like, just slamming this guy. And I know, hey, man, he's made mistakes we all have. But like Christians, they were just, just slamming him, cursing him. Then I'm in Boston when uh, President Bush, President W. Bush, was in office. And there are all these other Christians who are actually more of a liberal bent. I know that's shocking to y'all. Actually, some of the most conservative theologically Christians that I've known in my life have been politically liberal. That may shock some of you, but it, it, there are those people out there. And they were like dogging, you know, Bush. I'm like, man, I just don't be associated with it. So it's like it can happen on, on both these sides. And you know, as, as believers, we're not supposed to curse them. We're supposed to pray for them. We can vote and we can speak civilly and humbly, I believe. We also need to pray for them. I mean, God can change anybody's life, even the President of the United States. So pray for them. Pray for all of our leaders. And let's not curse them. And let's remember, please, it is, it is so, um, as I said at the beginning, I, I love this season, I love this time of year every four years. I mean, I, I get into it, my wife gets into it, it's, it's like entertainment. And it's easy to get wrapped up in a candidate, it's easy to get wrapped up in a party. As a follower of Christ, a believer of Christ, our hope, though, should only rest in Jesus. Let me say that again. Our hope should only rest in Jesus. Our hope should not rest in a president, our hope should not rest in Obama, our hope should not rest in a Romney, our hope should not rest in a political party. Our hope must always rest in Jesus. He is the ultimate politician. He will ultimately save this world. Not a philosophy, not a government, not a way of life. Jesus and his kingdom will. Politics, I'm going to close kind of here. Politics is all about power. It's about power. It's power dynamics, who you know how close you to this politician, how long this politician has served, how much power they have, how much leverage they have. Our hope has to rest in Christ and his power. And it is so hard to do. It is so hard to do. I mean, it is challenging to me. And it gives me great solace when I look to scriptures and saw how challenging it was for his disciples, the 12. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, but after he rose again, then they like got it. No, they didn't. You look in Acts 1, I'm not going to read it, but Acts 1, the first thing that they ask, right as Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, they ask, Jesus, now are you going to go and overthrow Rome? Now are you going to have a political revolution? Now are you going to th- overthrow this kingdom? And Jesus is like, man, fellas, you still hadn't gotten it yet. We, 
Still hadn't gotten it yet. And one of my favorite verses, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power. You'll receive real power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses across all the earth. Power. We crave power. Adam craved power. He wanted to do his own thing. It's, it's in us. And that's the key, y'all. The enemy is not Republican or Democrat, left or right. The enemy is in us. It's this thing called sin. And what we worship while we come here, we sing about. Jesus came down, and in his power, he conquered sin. And so when our hope is in him, when our hope is in him, he will release us from the bondage of sin. You may not get that, you may not know that, you may not believe that, but that's, that's what scripture says. And our hope has to be in him. How does the world change? A lot of folks have lived and died that a government changed it. The world changes through relationships. First, a relationship with Jesus Christ, a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that he knows you, that he loves you, that he came to save you. And then when a person with a relationship with Christ has a relationship with another person, one by one, the world has changed. Two stories, actually two people that I met this weekend. Just give you a quick example of this, how the world has changed. First one, well, both of them don't believe in Jesus. And I met these two people at two different parties, and they're two very different people. And one of them rationally would say that they're an atheist, agnostic. And when I want to visit with this person, I mean, it's kind of weird. I call it the pastor's freeze, like someone who knows that I'm a pastor and like doesn't go to church or, you know, kind of doesn't know what they think about Jesus or anything. It's like they just freeze up, you know. I just call it the pastor's freeze. And I hate that, but it's just, just part of the gig, you know. Bummer. But as I always say, y'all can affect and evangelize a lot better than I can. So, you know, I'm at this party and, you know, so-and-so knows I'm going to freeze up, you know. Just trying to be nice, you know. But, you know, trying to build a relationship. Because there's so many people who... You know, they question the Bible. They question Jesus. They question you know, what we as the church stand for. We've got to start building a relationship. Other person I met doesn't believe because of suffering they have seen. Immense suffering. Suffering that a lot of us really can't understand. And I know some of you have seen some suffering. Uh, but this stuff is really bad. And I talked to this person... And I said, I know you've experienced profound suffering. And I said, unfortunately, in, in my life, over the last five years as pastor, I've seen profound suffering. See it on a large scale, things I couldn't imagine in third world countries, but seen it on a personal scale. We're like families are just broken and pain and in the heart, so it's internal, external. And I just said, listen, I, so I know you suffer, and I, man, I empathize, and I said, I even appreciate you saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore because you're honest and you're not faking it. But if you need anything, man, you call me. I'll just talk you through it. What I'm saying, I'm just trying to build a relationship. What I'm telling to you is how the world changes is first having a relationship with Christ in your heart and then loving on people one by one. He's saying, man, I'll talk this out. That's power. The Holy Spirit works in those situations. I believe that. That's why I do what I do.
I hope you will too. Last thing I'll say is, is really an invitation to come for communion. And I'd ask those who are helping me serve to come on, come on, come on up now. We're going to take communion. And again, I talk about power. Because politics is all about power. And see, I don't think a lot of you realize the power that's happening when we take communion. When we invite you to the Lord's table each and every Sunday. The, the real power that's going on. Because in Scripture, Jesus said, I'm giving my life for you. The ultimate form of power was him not taking power as the son of God, as king above all kings. The king above all kings in history, in the universe, said, I'm giving my life for you. He gave power away. The power of that in coming to his table, in realizing that, in knowing that, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you think of yourself of or as, the power of prayer. We invite you to the Lord's table. We ask you to pray. We, we take for granted the power of prayer. You're talking to the creator of the universe. You're humbling yourself. You're saying, I'm sorry. You're saying, forgive me. You're saying, help this relationship. You're saying, God, enter into my life. You're saying, God, enter into this church. The power of prayer. Do we call upon it? Often we don't. Often I don't. Power. The power in an offering. When we say, come to the Lord, say, we'll give your offering. We're to say that I am putting my trust in you. Because giving an offering is hard. I know it. And I thank you all so much for doing it. Because you all have blessed this church. You're saying, I'm putting my trust. I'm putting my faith in you. And then, and a lot of you all, we don't get this. But when we come to the Lord's table, you receive and then you go. The power of sending. Acts 1.8. You will get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will... You'd be my witnesses. You will go. All of us are sent. I talked about this last Sunday. All of us are on mission. There's power in that. The greatest power on earth begins and ends in Jesus Christ. Not a government, not a politician. May our hope rest in him and what he has done. He said, the body of Christ, Jesus' body, was broken for all of us. The blood of Christ, his blood shed so that we could have life. He gave all his power away for you and for me. As we take communion today, would you think about that? Would you reflect on your life? Are you seeking that power? Are you tapping into the power of prayer? Are you living out the power being sent by Jesus Christ? We hope that you are.